Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. If you're looking to take your business and life to a whole new level and you're committed to investing in yourself, you're invited to apply for one-to-one coaching with me, which you can learn more about at coachwithtyler.com or sign up for the life-changing Elevate High Performance Coaching Academy, where together with our tribe, you'll learn how to elevate your game, make more money, and have more freedom. Check out the free masterclass at elevatecoachingacademy.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with Nicholas Boothman today, a world-class speaker, a world-class author, and someone that you're going to learn so much today from regarding how to impact people in a higher capacity, how to become the best in the world, how to make a powerful first impression, how to maximize the first two seconds, the first 20 seconds, the first 90 seconds that you meet someone new and how to expand your life through relationships, how to expand your own human potential, how to use NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, to elevate your success in business and life and so forth. There's a lot in this conversation. There's a lot in this episode. So I want to encourage you to buckle up and be ready to learn because this is the day. And Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I am a professional real estate investor, high-performance coach, and it is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar together. And before we dive into this conversation today, I want to encourage you to subscribe, give us a rating, a review, and share this with a friend because at the end of the day, you know, if you really enjoy what we do, we just ask that you continue to help us spread the message. Our goal is to really elevate humanity, is to elevate people who want to use real estate as a vehicle towards creating greater outcomes in their life and in the lives of others. Because if you can elevate yourself, if you can elevate your financial performance, if you can elevate your family, you can do more good for the world. And that's what it's all about. This is a domino. And so if you're enjoying this impact that we're having, having, we just encourage you and ask you really to pay the fee, which is really just to share this with one person. Take a screenshot, grab the link, text it to somebody, send it in an email, post it on social media, send it in a DM, share this with one friend. If you've already done that uh, previously, just I just want to thank you so much for doing that. And I want to encourage you to do that again, because that's how we're going to continue to change the world. And we'd love for you to be a part of that. And I'm just so grateful for you taking time out of your day to listen or watch Elevate Podcast. And we promise, and I promise you have my commitment. I'm going to continue to show up on a daily basis. I'm going to continue to provide massive, massive value. So with that said, let's dive in. I want to introduce you to my guest today, who is Nicholas Boothman, who spent 25 years studying the the ways different people connect and communicate. 
Today, he is called one of the leading experts in face-to-face communications in the world by the New York Times. He has taught his revolutionary techniques of rapport by design to thousands of corporations, colleges, and universities around the world, including the Harvard and London business schools. His first two books, How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less, and convince them in 90 seconds or less has been translated into more than 30 languages. A former fashion and advertising photographer who dealt with hundreds of new faces a week for clients like AT&T, Revion, and Coca-Cola, he is now recognized as a world-renowned expert in turning first impressions into profitable relationships. The New York Times calls him the new Dale Carnegie. The Economist magazine calls him truly inspirational and good morning. America says his book is my Bible. So without further ado, I want to invite you to really dive in deep and drink this delicious conversation with Nicholas Boothman. Nicholas, my friend, how are you doing? I'm really wonderful. Thank you. I go, you can probably tell that it's a little warm where I am, but I think it's, I think on a, on a global scale, I, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it's funny when we started our conversation before we started recording, you asked me if I was as hot as you are. And you said, well, not in that way, not in that way. And so I'm thinking that perhaps you're saying that I'm very attractive, uh, but, you know, I think we're both warm, right? So at the end of the day, I'm, I'm excited to heat things up here on Elevate Podcast with you. But, you know, we, there's so many different directions that we can take our conversation. But before we do that, I really want to introduce you to Elevate Nation. If you were to describe yourself in the way that the people who know you best, the closest people, whether they're family members, friends, you know, people that you've known for many years, how would they describe you, Nicholas? I was, I was rather, I was on a podcast last night and we were just, everyone was sort of letting their hair down. And I said, well, <laughs> I'm the guy who on his school report, the teacher said, what Nicholas lacks in intelligence, he makes up for in stupidity. So, um, <laughs> That's you know, awesome. I've been childlike and childish my entire life. I'm 75 years old. I've, um, I'm still rocking and rolling. At, well, big time. And uh, I've been married for 50 years. These are the things that are important to me. If I'm, it was my second marriage as well. How about that? I've got four wow. kids probably older than you. And, so, <laughs> that's, and I live on a farm in the most magnificent part of the world. And I'll tell you something else. Don't know what you can edit this out if you want to, but I was in a, a store yesterday, day before yesterday, and the person, the, the, the cash producer said, uh, so how's your day going so far? And I said, for me, every day when I can wake up and look at my art collection, first thing in the morning, I'm really happy. She said, oh, what's your art collection? I said, my wife, the most beautiful <laughs> piece of art I've ever seen. She said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And she had a mask on, so it was really funny. But it's true, it's true. People are my art collection, you know, it's true. But I see great beauty. Look, this I sound like some old hippie now, but I do see great beauty. And I don't necessarily have to like everybody, but I do see great beauty in people. And, uh, and I see everybody, even some of the biggest doinks other people most people are trying their best yeah yeah that's so true and I, I think it's just a beautiful way to really even begin this conversation maybe even as just a reminder perhaps to all of us that there is beauty in all of us none of us are perfect and you know we're going to step into further how we can serve someone else how can we really help people step into higher forms of their own human potential i want to understand a little bit more about your passion there but before we dive into that let's talk a little bit about your story because i think your story is really unique it's fascinating in terms of not only where you started your professional career spending 25 years 
as a photographer, a fashion photographer, and then the journey that you've taken since. So give us a little sense of, of, you know, your, your upbringing and sort of where you've come from. Well, I started off actually as a, a rock and roll singer in Portugal, uh, in the late sixties in a Portuguese rock and roll band for about five years. We had a reunion two years ago. They're all in their seventies now. It was hysterical. <laughs> they were all half dead and I wasn't. I have to tell you, 75 years old. If anybody's watching on YouTube, this is the lifestyle. There's there's maybe a clue here because you do not look 75. Let me just tell you that. You you look amazing. So anyway, I'll, I'll let you continue. Thank, thank you. No, I, I, thanks. Yeah, you should see my wife. Um, <laughs> But but um, but that I sang as a, in a rock and roll band. I then uh, got married to my first wife. We had a baby, so I had to get a proper job for about ten minutes. And I became a photographer. I was a fashion photographer for twenty five years, starting in South Africa, and then continuing in Lisbon, Portugal, where I spent quite a lot of my life um, in the swinging 60s and early 70s, and then uh, lost everything in the revolution in Portugal in 1974, 25th of April, 1974. Arrived in Canada with 400 bucks, because that's all they would let you out of the country with. I left behind uh, a restaurant, uh, a studio, a beautiful house, staff. My chauffeur drive drove me to the airport. I said, you can keep the car. Anyway, next thing, a few hours later, I was in, in Canada in a, in a boarding, a rooming house, washing my socks in the bathtub and thinking, what happened? Wow. I then spent 10 months sleeping on a, a, a vinyl sofa till I got my studio back on the back going. It didn't take me long. I say throughout all my books, desperation is the mightiest driver of all. And I've put myself purposely in the, in the last 20 or 30 years, I've made myself desperate on purpose because it's the only way to get forward. Um, you know, you think, well, it's a horrible thing to say, but you think all these people trying to cross the Atlantic, across the, the channel in rubber dinghies are doing it because they want to go to England for a holiday. No, they're desperate. So mm. when we're desperate, we can do incredible stuff. And uh, but that's a, it, it's a delicate story, but it does make a big difference. So I was desperate when I came to Canada very quickly, very quickly. Um, became known as a, uh, a photographer, went straight to the top, um, started a business called Corporate Images, um, and then then we moved to a farm in the middle of nowhere, and I couldn't be a fashion photographer anymore, so quick reinvention, uh, wanted to become a speaker, uh, because I got a request from a, a camera club saying, can you come and talk to our people about, uh, about photography? And I went and I made my speech about five minutes about photography, 55 minutes about connecting with people. And at the end of that, three people came up to me, a doctor, a teacher, and someone who trains airline personnel and said, can you come and do this speech for my people, not the photography bit, the rest of it. I went home to my wife and said, I got a new job. I'm going to be a speaker. <laughs> well, I thought that was great. And I got some, I got together a few people. I, I thought, I rented at half the, by the next morning, I'd rented half the Holiday Inn in our nearest town, half of the ballroom, and phoned up all my old clients and said, I'm doing a, a talk on people skills. It's 28 bucks. You've got to come and bring everybody with you. 85 people came. I thought, this is wonderful. <laughs> and I said, fine, I'm a speaker. Well, after about, I don't know, four weeks, I was going nowhere. So I thought, you know what? Something's missing. I know, I need a book, I need a bestseller with a killer title. So my beautiful wife, as usual, said, what are you going to do about it? I said, I don't know, I guess I better write one. So I did. I, I couldn't type or anything. I, I, I had an old clunker of a computer and I made a deal with myself that I'm going to, uh, I have to write uh, 1500 words a day before I can get dressed. So I would get up at four o'clock and by nine o'clock I'd written them. And then, and anyway, it went from there. 
And, uh, you know, it's always the same thing. My new book's called about life without limits. And, and, you know, the only limits we have are the ones we put on ourselves. We're not limited by what we can do. We're limited by what we're willing to try. And that's where all the good luck and everything comes from. So that's what I talk about. That's so good. And you know what? Limits are learned. So what we have to do is we have to unlearn them. Right. So let's unlearn those limits. And I think that's a huge distinction. I can't wait to talk about your book. I can't wait to talk about what you're up to these days. But thank you for giving us some context of where you've come from. And one of the things that I think is really insightful and something that you and I share is that we're passionate about human potential. That's what Elevate's all about. It's about reaching and expanding beyond what we thought our potential was. Right. It's about creating something great. It's about leaving a legacy. It's about impacting other people. It's about creating a life worth living experiencing all the joy that we have through being curious, learning from other people, surrounding ourselves with other amazing people, right? So that's what I want to talk to you about today. So tell me about where, what is it about human potential that you're so passionate about? Well, you know, you're, you're getting close to it there because in, in my new book, which in fact, if you go to my website and you scroll down, you can read chapter one and chat. I'm saying this because one of the first things, and you talked about unlearning things and you're absolutely right. You know, we came into this world with only two fears, the fears of sudden loud noises and the fear of falling. Uh, all the rest we invented for ourselves, all of them. And so, uh, so, but, but also what's happened to us is that most people cannot define themselves accurately. Here's what I mean. Well, they'll define themselves by what people have told them or what they've heard or suspected over the years. I have a little story uh, in the first chapter. I was an honorary woman for a year, uh, about 20 years ago, because a, a group in, in Canada called WRED, Women in Rural Economic Development, contacted me because they knew I'd been doing something called a purpose quest to help women who were living in belligerent circumstances in rural areas to help them unpack what was the real them. And what we would do, the first thing we would do is we would give, ask them to give them give us 10 words to describe themselves. In fact, they do it in pairs, so it wasn't me intimidating them. It's something they could do together. Give me 10 words to describe yourself. Sometimes they couldn't do that, but eventually they would. And, and then what we do is we'd make sure all of those words were right. And one of the women, which I write about, a woman called Susan, the first thing she said was, I'm an aggressive, angry, or so I'm told. She was really, really <laughs> fiery. Oh, yeah. No, but that, she was hurting. What we started doing was taking each of those words and figuring out what she meant. For example, when she said she's aggressive, what she was, she was actually stimulating or challenging. And when she was a bitch, turns out, when we just worked through it, she actually had high standards. Now imagine this woman was living on a farm, taking care of her in-laws, her father-in-law, her mother-in-law, her, her brother-in-law, and I don't know, a couple of kids. Well, we unpacked her thing and we found what I call your statement of fortune, which is if you can imagine before you were born, about, about 10 seconds before you were born, you were in a lineup and you had to write down why you deserve to be born. The only condition was it had to be something to benefit humanity. So you write this little phrase down, you get to the front, they look at your phrase and they either say, not good enough, go to the back and try again, or huh, that's pretty good. You can go and get born now. So they send you to the supply department and put inside you all the core attributes you'll need to carry this out. So I was doing this with these women and I did it with this particular woman, with Susan. She left there. She had an epiphany, she, epiphany by design. She was high. I, I did see her once more again, but and then six years passed and I'm walking through the International Plaza in Toronto. I was giving a speech there and I hear this, I cry when I talk, tell this story. I hear this voice saying, Hey, Nick, I turned around. I said, I sort of recognize. I said, I'm so, help me out here. She said, it's Nick. It's me. It's Susan. I said, Susan, you look amazing. 
what are you doing here? She said, I run three departments for the Ministry of Agriculture now, and I've got three of my teams having meetings here today. How about that? How about going from a woman because she believed all the things people had said about her? Her family said, you're just a, a lazy, aggressive, angry bitch, you know, and you're this and you're that. Well, if you want to become totally, if you want to go forward with your career, you have to define yourself accurately before you take another step, mm. you know, because, because, the, because you're not, if you're making plans for somebody who is not actually you, then and, and what was her what was her uh, statement of uh, fortune? Uh, I challenged people to imagine wild new ideas. When, when it came to her, it, I mean, these things mean nothing to anybody else. But it was it was like putting a shish in her kebab. It went a hook <laughs> and a point went right through her, and that's exactly what she then stood up, her skin cleared, her, and off she went and did her thing. So if you want to be, if you want to have all, if you want to be of all the potential and elevate yourself first. Describe yourself accurately. Mm. Man, that is so good. It's so powerful. Such an uh, important story. Thank you for sharing that. If you were to, you know, prescribe any practical tips towards defining yourself, you know, in a, in a 10 word phrase, are there any tips that you might suggest for folks to go through this exercise themselves? I'll tell you a story. I live on a farm uh, about, uh, I don't know, 12 years ago, we were thinking about renovating the kitchen here. And every day I used to drive on the highway past the kitchen renovation place. So I went in there one day and I said, Okay, I told him what I wanted, and this sort of typical old-fashioned salesman with a briefcase through brochures or whatever. He said this, 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 this. Anyway, at the end, I said to him, look, I'm gonna, can I ask you a question? I said, I think it's a fairly reasonable question. Why should I do business with your company? And he said, why not? Okay, well, you know something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you love. I'll tell you something. About two weeks later, I was, give, I was the kickoff speaker for the Remax Global Convention in Vienna, Austria. And I told that story at the kickoff. There were probably 4,000 4, Remax salespeople, top ones, in the room. 4,000 people is a lot because all you can see is the front 300 or whatever. They're all looking at screens. But I told that story and some people in the front row laughed because it's laughable. And I looked down at a woman there, one of the peachy keen Remax salespeople. I said, okay, why should I do business with your company? She said, oh, well, because you can trust us. I said, well, your competition's going to say the same thing. Look, we've got a massive network. Your competition's going to say the same thing. Here's what I, you'll find in my books, which is, I, I, I call it the shish in my kebab or the pub approach. So if you say, hey, Nick, why should I do business with you? Or, hey, Nick, what do you do? I say, you know how some people have trouble connecting and communicating face-to-face? -face? And they go, mm -hmm. I say, well, I write books and give speeches that make it really simple and interesting so they can meet more people and find fresh opportunities. Now, apart from the fact that a six-year-old could understand that, it's not a pitch. I've told them what I do, how I do it for, uh, how, why I'm different, and what the benefit is to the other people in that simple phrase. So to answer your question, that's what, I, I advise, that's what people that take my courses or read my books learn to do. Why should I do business with you? And that's what you come back with. It's a three-stage thing. You know how some if it's in your business, some realtors want to elevate themselves and become the greatest thing they can, and the person's bound to say, oh, yeah. So, well, I, you've got to say what you do and why, what your fresh approach is, why you're different, so they can find fresh opportunities and meet more people, whatever. After that, if someone wants to say, oh, really, tell me more, well, then you can let fly with all the rubbishy stuff, all the boring, long, jargony stuff. But it just, it takes about seven seconds to say that, and it's powerful beyond belief.
I love it. I love it. And that's such a practical tip that anybody can take some time and, you know, pro- apply some introspection and consider, well, what is it that I do and who do I help and what do I serve and what is my differentiator? But, you know, one thing I wanted to go in deep with you on is, is world-class connection, right? World-class personal interaction, because that's, you know, what you're all about. You just described it just there. So talk to us about maybe some of the mechanics of world-class personal interaction and why that's so important. I can tell you why, you know, from a real estate investing perspective, it's so important is that the central theme of success in real estate is relationships. It's impact within other people. So that's why I'm so excited to have this part of the conversation with you. But tell me a little bit about what would you say are the mechanics of world-class personal interaction? Well, funny you should ask, because I have given my talk to realtors in uh, well, the craziest company of all was in was in Singapore, the biggest real estate company there, and that was so bizarre. It's the only time I've been in been in a room with probably three thousand people on a balcony and down here, who were all whilst I was talking, they were on the phone doing deals with each other. Sometimes one would stand up and talk to the guy in the balcony. I'm standing there talking to him. What's going on? And in the end, I thought, what the heck? I'll just talk to myself. They were doing, they were doing business right there. Uh, and, and, and so they were super aggressive people. Uh, and, but they picked up stuff and they certainly bought all kinds of stuff. I've spoken in Finland. Now, I was taken to Finland to speak to a realty company because the, the owner of the realty company there used to be with Remax, heard me in Vienna called me a few years later to look, I left with your words ringing in my head. I left, I started my own business. I got, I don't know, 74 people work for me now. I want you to come over and talk to them because in Finland, small talk is a no-no. We mm-hmm. don't do small talk. Mm-hmm. So I actually went and Googled Finland or Helsinki and small talk. And it was right there don't, from expats who were living there. Oh, whatever you do, don't try and do small talk in, <laughs> in, uh, in here because they don't like it. Same with Sweden. I, I spoke in Norway. Well, the last gig I did actually before the pandemic, I spoke in Norway to about four or five thousand. And you know, it, so you're talking about globally connecting. Some countries, it's not cool to talk to a stranger in the street. They think, "What are you doing?" But then again, I've spoken in in Dubai and in in, in Oman and in Saudi Arabia. It's it's different everywhere. So if I if I understand you, well, actually, I think I maybe didn't understand your question about the global approach. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, and you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called the bottom line, the 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you 
invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. No, I think that's really important distinction actually is, is understanding culture, right? What, what, yeah. what is going to resonate with someone else and understanding perspective. And so thinking about how can we apply that in a diverse economy, a diverse market or a diverse set of you know individuals or even across the world. And so thinking about when we think about world-class, my perspective is elite or most effective, the most, most effective personal interaction. This is the things or the expertise that I'm so fond of what you share with people all over the world. And, you know, one of the things that you talk about in terms of being effective in this capacity, it allows you to meet more people, find new opportunities. So could you describe some of the mechanics of, you know, really maximizing these opportunities? Okay. Well, we have to talk about first impressions then because first impressions really set the tone. They're more important than anything. And first impressions are we, we decide how we feel about someone in the first two seconds of seeing them or hearing them if it's over the phone. I mean, that's just the fight or flight response. You know, is this person charming or alarming? It's not conscious, it's your subconscious saying, hey, back up a little here. And so you have to neutralize the fight or flight response. And so I'll tell you how we do that, but I will also tell you that the goal of first impressions is to find common ground. The moment you find common ground with someone, and when we first, I first saw you, I could have said to you, uh, well, are those Sennheisers you're wearing? And headset, I, they probably aren't, I don't know. But the point is, I could start talking, because I've got Sennheisers, and then I could have said, man, do they fit all right? So before we'd done any of the baloney about how are you today, we, I could have gone straight into common ground about that, or about your mic, or about what's that picture on the back. The moment you find common ground, the pressure's off, because then you're communicating. Look, I say, Talk to people as if it's your long lost cousin. It's, I call it assuming rapport. Uh, assuming rapport is you just talk to someone as if you've always known them. Look, the Brits are great at this. You stand in a store with any, well, it used to be when I used to live there. Hey, can you believe what that guy's doing over there with people you've never met before? So that's what I do. I just assume rapport with people. Uh, sure, in more formal situations, you have to shake a hand and do all the rigmarole. But, you know, the, the, if you can find common ground, if it's in real estate, someone walks up, that doesn't mean phony compliments or stuff. It's just finding something you can talk about in common. And then you're off. And if they don't want to talk about it, well, you don't talk about it. You can also, you must also synchronize their body language. Not, not in a stupid way. I mean, if they do this and you do this, you're just an idiot. But, <laughs> you know, if, if they're standing in a certain way like this or swaying like this, you know, and Look, people with, with their natural people skills still intact, do that naturally without thinking. I do it without thinking. Give them up thinking, oh my God, I'm doing what this guy's doing right now. Forget it. That's what you do. Because that's what babies do. You know, when you meet a baby, you, you, we talk to babies, look, become a chameleon. If it's, if you're talking to a baby, we talk one way, you go, if you're talking to an old person, pretty much the same. All right, granny, come on, sit down, we'll put the chair. You know, you just, we adapt our body language to them and our, and our voices. I'm not saying to be a complete lunatic, but, but understand you can't, if you want to adapt, you have to adapt to them. Uh, and, and we're born, we're born with all the abilities to do that. We're born with feedback. We're born with curiosity. We, we can see what they're doing. I meet people all the time say, oh, but when people get to know me, they really like me. Well, you know what? That's fantastic for your next door neighbor and your family and everybody else who can't escape you. But you know, in business and in romance, not good enough, I'm afraid. So here are the, here are what you do when you meet someone for the first time. Look at me in the eye and smile. These are absolute basics. Eye contact says trust is in the air. And a smile says the person is happy and confident. Now, if you can't smile, if you, do, if you can't do eye contact, notice what color their eyes are. 
just for a, a second. That's enough to neutralize the fight or flight response. If you can't smile, just say the word great to yourself in bursts of three years, you'll approach great, 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 great. Before you know, you'll be sort of having a chuckle. And what happens is they'll think, oh, this person's happy and confident. But a word about uh, about smiling and a word about, about um, eye contact, too much of it is unbelievably creepy it's, <laughs> you, you just want a little bit uh, which means it just expose your heart towards that you know if i was standing here talking like this now and you were talking like this now your audience would think oh what's up with these guys so my heart is exposed i'm also standing up i always stand up for these things um look me in the eyes my open then synchronize just which just means take on their overall body language you look around a restaurant look at the people who are getting on they're without thinking they're synchronizing you know one talks like this the other one leans forward and no kidding they pick up the cup the other one picks up their cup we've all seen that just it's just perfect natural we did it as kids and we maybe grew out of it but this is really simple stuff look them in the eyes smile open your body language and look for common ground synchronize and look for common ground and the moment you find should be able to find common ground with a client in 20 seconds i know when i do get briefings for speaking engagements and if i when i eventually or when the when the ceos of major major corporations who have lots of people reporting to them most of them are pretty damn good at getting common ground with me. Well, it's easy with me to say, oh, you've got an English accent. I love London. What do you, do you like London? <laughs> so we're, no, it's true. We're off and running. There you, you know? go. So it's, it's, it's that simple. And then when it comes to real estate, I have a book here, which I'm not plugging because I never sell from the stage, but this is called Story Speak. You want to get into people's senses. You want to arouse their emotions. And we do that through story look story speak worked for for jesus it worked for the prophet muhammad it worked for winston churchill it worked for you know many of your presidents which i don't know if you can say the names of them without losing half your readers anymore but <laughs> but, but it's warren buffett don't if you're doing a talk don't mention warren buffett well i will because warren buffett actually says that one of the things that he's really good at is putting concepts into pictures He's the one that said after the 2008 uh, financial thing, the tide's gone out and now we can see you swimming naked. Mm -hmm. He's the one when I was in England, I was in one studio, he was in another one being interviewed. And they said to him, do you enjoy your work? He said, I tap dance to work. Hmm. You know, this is cool stuff. And I teach people how to bring these little metaphors, which, you know, in communication, if you can lodge an image in someone's head that they can't shake out, you got them. Because yeah. imagination rules the world. I love this. So this is so good. You, you mentioned to, to some people, a lot of this is very natural to others. It may not be natural and maybe it's something that they have to work towards. And I almost think about, you know, the learning steps, right? In, in one capacity, you have unconscious incompetence, right? The next step, you have a bit of conscious incompetence. Then from there, you know, you continue along this learning step. And I, and I feel like having this conversation for with you is allowing people to take those learning steps towards conscious competence or even unconscious in uh, unconscious competence into where then you start dancing in these conversations, which I think is really powerful. It's really exciting. And hopefully what we're trying to do right now, maybe I'm stepping on your left foot and maybe you're stepping on my right foot, but we're dancing, but let's talk about the first 90 seconds because you've mentioned about how critical that is. You, you, you just talked about the first two seconds, finding that common ground, the first 20 and really establishing further rapport, synchronizing, but talk to me about why is the first 90 seconds with a, a, a new individual why is that so critical in terms of the development of that relationship 
Well, first of all, if I had entitled my first book, instead of calling it How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less, if I had called it How to Make People Like You in Two Seconds or Less, people would have thought, they already thought I was crazy. They would have thought I was really crazy, but it really is two seconds. Well, people said 90 seconds, or <laughs> it's too look. You know, if you, if you live in an apartment or if you live in a, in a house, you live in a house and someone's coming up your driveway, how long do you think it's going to take you to decide if they're getting in or not? <laughs> you know, two seconds at the most, it's the fight or flight response. You live in an apartment, you look through the spile and think, I'm not opening the door to this person. That didn't take you 90 seconds to figure out. It's immediate. So we have to neutralize the fight or flight response uh, when we're dealing with people. And the thing about first impressions is that when we like people, and by like, I mean feel comfortable or trust them at first sight. But when we like people, we tend to see the best in them and what they represent. If I like the guy, all these, if you like me, all my jumping around says I'm passionate and I love what I do. If you don't like me, you'll say this guy's a complete idiot. You know, <laughs> if I like the woman, she's kind. If I don't like her, she's weak. And it's just how we put the interpretations on these things. And the other, so the next thing about, about why, why two seconds, uh, because when we like people, we, we look for opportunities to say yes to them unconsciously. If we don't like them, we look for opportunities to say no to them. Also, when it's, when it's about liking people quickly, uh, it's easy and fun to work with people that we like and we get on with. If you have one jerk in a group, in a team, you don't do your best work. The day drags along. Uh, you go on miserable and you come back to work the next day miserable. But when you all get on, you know what it's like when you're in a team that's on fire and where everybody is, is bringing out the best in everybody else. It's magic. And so these are all simple things. It's what we give off. It's look them in the eye, smile, open your body language, you know, and, and synchronize your body language with them and find common ground. And uh, so those, those, those are really simple reasons that we look for opportunities to say yes. We tend to see the best in them and what they represent or the company they represent. And it's fun to work together in teams. These are, these are not small things. This is what happens in the first few seconds. Yeah, that's so good. And, and I just think the, the concept of synchronicity, I'm sorry, synchrony is very, very synchronizing. important. Yeah, synchronizing. synchronizing body language, synchronizing energy, synchronizing just your impact with someone else in a dialogue is, is very valuable. But could you talk to us a little bit about some even further advanced techniques or, or approaches to being more likable as you were just talking about why that's so important? Could you talk about some more practices that people might, uh, you know, integrate within their own life? You know, I, I, first of all, I, I, I know, I know there are books out there about tips and tricks to make. I, I don't like that. I like, I, it's all about being natural. You know, you've mm. got to find a way to make yourself come through. I do trainings for, we have a course called uh, professional speakers secrets and twice a week we have, I don't know, 60 people from all over the world who want to be professional speakers. But you know, and they say, and you know, you, you get someone say, Oh, what's the hot topics? I'm going to talk about that. Say, Wait, what are you talking about? You've got to talk about something you're an expert in being you can't just rush off and think you're going to talk about the economy when there are economists from Harvard out there doing that a lot better than you could ever do it. You have to find a way you have to figure out what you care about, you have to figure out what you're deeply passionate about. And you know, when when my kids, I had five kids, when, when they were growing up, when they were 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever, my wife and I, Wendy and I, we decided that for the first Tuesday of every month, we would take them to dinner in a different country. That sounds great. What really meant was that Wendy and we'd pick a country, all of us together, and then on the following, the next first Tuesday, 
Wendy and I would study and cook the, the food for that country, four or five courses, and each of the kids had to, uh, had to talk for 90 seconds, three minutes on one aspect of that country, the tourism, the business, the geography, the history, whatever. And they had to go research it on their own. And then when dinner was served, we'd have the first course and the first one would stand up and very, well, in the beginning, nervous and, oh, I can't do this, don't look at me. <laughs> By the time we got to the second one, it was a heck of a lot easier. By the time we got to the third one, uh, they could stand up with a hand in their pocket and talk about, I'm talking about 10-year-olds here. And I remember one day getting a phone, my wife's calling me up and said, there's a guy on the phone here talking, wants to speak to Sandy. Sandy was 10 at the time. She wasn't there then, but she wasn't in the house right then. Wendy said, and I spoke, I said, hi, can I help you? He said, yeah, I'm from the Mexican consulate. I'm looking for Sandy. She phoned and asked for some, for some background information on the, the geography of the country. And I'm going to mail it to her because back then, you know, I'm going to mail it. But I want to make sure I got the right address. That's so, amazing. <laughs> but any, we can do this anytime. Anyone can start doing this now is, is to start because when you can, it's just an extension of being good at connecting with people is, is making a speech or making a presentation. And the golden rule of presentations is no point, no presentation. What the heck are you talking about? What's your point? Okay, that's your point. Now you're going to prove it. And this is all, it's all continued communication. It's all convincing or whatever is you need a point. And so if you have, if people, your listeners are watching, your viewers watching this, do this with your kids. We did it for one year. Do you think today, now they're in their 50s, they've ever had a trouble making a presentation or talking to a group or do, becoming leaders at work? They're all superstars and they're bloody happy too. I love that. I think that's a phenomenal practice that we can all consider or even adapt in some whatever way that we want within our family, within our friend group. You know, you can challenge each other to present on something that you're passionate about and learn something new at the same time, right? However, here is the thing. The best definition I ever heard of a leader, and I'm assuming all the people listening to this are leaders. The best definition I ever heard of a leader is a leader is someone who knows what to do and does it. Mm. Plenty of people might be listening, say, oh, that's cool. Maybe one day. No, no, you're not a leader. You're a manager. If you know what to do and you do it, and that's what we taught our kids. Because sure, all the visioning and all the other blah, blah, blah about what a leader really is. But no, great leaders know what to do. You know, it's like dieting. No, you don't have to tell anyone how to lose weight. Everyone in the world knows how to lose weight. It's whether you do it or not. That's the difference. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Knowing is not doing at the end of the day. No. So we can learn something new on this podcast, but if you're not applying it, then what is it all for? One of the things that you know I, I really enjoy about our community and Elevate Nation in particular is it's high-performing people, right? It's high-performing investors. It's dynamic individuals. And what we like is we like to take things to the next level. We like to take our impact to the next level. And of course, the central theme is relationships, right? It's about learning and giving to other people. One of the things that I think is really fascinating about what you've done, Nicholas, throughout you know your career is you've become an advanced neuro-linguistic neuro programming expert. And so I'd love to know what role has NLP played in your success, whether it's just connecting with others or you know impacting others from the stage and so forth. I'll answer that, then I'll give you another answer. NLP is fantastic. It is, look, if you've never heard of NLP, you've never heard of NLP, but, but it's essentially about how we use language to motivate and demotivate ourselves and others without realizing it. That's why I say that your self-talk your 
your self-talk, your um, postal code, and your willingness to, willingness to take risks uh, have a bigger impact on your health, wealth, and happiness than exercise, education, and playing by other people's rules. It really is about how you talk to yourself and how you talk to other people. And you have, and we do it, we do it without realizing sometimes. We say things to people, oh, like, like, uh, well, I've got enough grandchildren I can practice on, but saying things like, I've heard people say to my kids, don't go in the kitchen. We have a big farmhouse here. Don't go in the kitchen or don't go in the barn or don't do this. I'm going up. I'm thinking, oh, what are you doing? I said, look, instead of saying don't go in the barn, you say, if you want to go in the barn, ask an adult. All right. So instead of saying don't go in the kitchen, stand there when you're in the kitchen. It's dangerous here. It's about putting things into the positive. About I talk about, I talk about, I tell people, think chicken, think KFC. KFC is K, know what you want. F, find out what you're getting and see, change what you do till you get what you want. Because the, the, the find out what you're getting, well, know what you want, out positive thinking. Find out what you're getting, curiosity, processing feedback. Change what you do till you get what you want, imagination and creativity. The point is, it's a flexible mindset which takes you to wherever you want to go. It's the processing feedback. It's the not doing the same thing over and over or saying to the kids, don't go in the kitchen. Well, re really? What does that actually mean? He said, go in the kitchen, but he put don't in there. So what does that mean? No, what I mean is stand there. My daughter, Kate, I used, to be, I used to say to her, people used to say, don't mess up your room. Don't, what's the only language you can process is mess up your room. And they say, oh, daddy said don't. So maybe I'll put that pile under the bed and make sure the door will open. No, tidy your room. That's what I really meant. Make your room nice and tidy. That's where it starts. It starts with, as we learn this stuff, we've been programmed to make our neurology respond. This is what Susan did when they said, you're an angry bitch, you're an aggressive angry bitch. She'd been neuro-linguistically programmed to think that that's what she was. So she's, that's where her limit, she couldn't do anything because she believed that's the kind of person she was. I work with people who come up and say, I mean, what, can, what can I do? I'm shy. Well, you know what? There's no such thing as shy. It's not a human attribute. No one was born shy. You're probably cautious and reserved. Really good things. But people have said, "You, oh, Willie, he's four years old. We want to invite Willie to a party. Well, but you know, he's shy. Well, he's listening too, you know. And by the time he's 10, we want to invite Willie to a sleepover. Well, you know, he's shy. Of course, by now he's doing it all. No eye contact, sucking his thumb, no, no words, won't speak to anybody. That's neuro-linguistic programming at its finest. <laughs> I, had a, I had a guy say, I'm negative. I said, what do you mean by negative? This is a big convention. He's doing the purpose quest. He said, well, you know, I'm in a meeting and someone says something. I think, ah, I knew that. I should have said that. I could have said that. I said, no, that's not negative. That's competitive. He said, oh, big difference. Simple thing. These are huge. So if you want to elevate people to come out their biggest potential, you know, it's like being in a hot air balloon. Chuck the, all the, the weights out first. Make sure, make sure you can elevate. Throw those bags of sand away. And those are your neuro-linguistic programmings. Man, that is so good. And when I first learned about NLP, when I realized that saying don't, and then whatever it is that you don't want people to do, you're actually embedding that command to actually engage in that behavior that you're trying to avoid, have them avoid doing. I just think it's so insightful when you recognize what you're doing and you can do that with yourself, with your self-talk, right? How do you define yourself? That's how we began this conversation. It's how are you programming yourself and how are you allowing others to program your own neurology through that? But I think it's so powerful and learning about how we can embed commands for others to engage in further furthering their own potential and the same for ourselves. But one of the things that you and I are both deeply passionate about is not only that human potential, but human superpowers. 
I'd love to get your perspective. What are human superpowers? If you had to, to say. Well, I, I have all, for, for 25 years, I've spoken about the fact that we were born with five superpowers. And by superpowers, I don't mean the ability to jump over buildings like Superman because we invented machines to do that. I mean, the five uniquely human superpowers, which are enthusiasm, which is your energy, God flowing through from the Greek, curiosity, the human survival power number one, where we learn about our environment, the ability to process feedback, to take what's coming in through our curiosity and play around with it till we can't make things better. Empathy, uh, the ability to see, feel, experience the world through the senses of other people. And imagination, the greatest asset you possess is the ability to, to arouse enthusiasm in other people. And that's done through the imagination. However, in my new book, because everywhere I go, I hear people talk about superpowers. I've got to come up with something better than that. So I now call them vital sparks, vital for life and sparks, because they really are your vital spark plugs. When those five spark plugs are firing as they were on the day you were born, you're fine. If you still have lots of people don't have curiosity. Like little kids growing up say, why are you asking so many questions? Stop asking so many questions. Bang, superpower out the window. Feedback. I know tons of you that don't process feedback. Well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. So, <laughs> you know, empathy. Weird, weird takes on empathy these days. And imagination. Well, imagination, fire up people's senses, what you can see, what you can hear, what you can feel, and just talk to them like that. Thank you for that. That's so good. And, and I think it's important for us to understand what are those attributes so that we can integrate those further into our daily practice, right? Make that a part of how we're neuro-linguistic programming ourselves, right? And think about living without limits is another thing I wanted to go to with you. You're talking about superpowers. Now your next project is all about living without limits. So tell me about that and what that's really all about. I've got just tons of stories in, in there about people who, who live without limits. What, the only limits you have are the ones you put on yourself. Like I said before, you're only born with two fears, the fear of sudden loud noises and the fear of falling. All the rest you invented for yourself. Well, take a look. Maybe they're not valid anymore. Uh, you know, people say, oh, life is short. Well, no, it's not short. Life is not, that's nonsense. Stop right there. You know, uh, we hear all these, we hear all these crazy things. People put limits on themselves. We, the only limit, we're not limited by what we can do. We're limited by what we're willing to try. That's the truth. Uh, you know, risks, I'm not talking about gambling with fate, but taking risks is the only way. We, we are energy systems in nature. Human beings, we only have two settings. We're either growing or we're going. All of us, it's either growth or decay. When you're not growing, you're going, by the way. You have to be constantly growing. We only get our energy from three places, food, fresh air, and each other. Other people, other people are gas stations. They bring us alive. Yes, I know faith isn't another one, but that's really through other people in a, in a way. Um, and, but as energy systems, we, we only have the two settings, growth or decay. It's the second law of thermodynamics. So when you're not growing, and the only time we come alive and grow is when we're learning something new or when there's a slight whiff of danger in the air. That's the only mm. time you, you, your body comes alive and say, do this, do that, try this. Da, da, da. All the rest of the time, you're pegging. So I live without limits. And if I do look, you know, or appear a little more sprightly than a few other 75-year-olds, because that's why I have no limits on my life. I'm not stupid. I'm not going to run across a, a, a busy highway. I'm not gambling. 
Taking risks is not the same as gambling. Do one thing every day that scares you. You'd be amazed at by the end of 30 days where you are. And I don't mean stupid stuff. I mean, like, look, the number one identifiable predictor of success in the world. This is Thomas Harrell spent 20 years in Stanford Business School looking for success factors. He came up with one thing which was present in every successful person. Have a guess what it was. Taking risks. Being brave. The, the ability to speak up. Ah, Okay. Which is taking which is taking a risk yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Because yeah. if you when you speak up, you are visible. If you don't speak up, you're invisible. And you'd be amazed how many times I've I did a gig in Portugal not too long ago. It's one of the very big business schools there. And from the state it's a big mistake, I think, at some of these big, big uh, events to have the president and the boss and all that in the front row, because the rest of the people, they're not going to make fools of themselves. But there was the president, the boss, the owner of the girl, they're all in the front row. But I said, I'd, I'd like a volunteer to come on stage to do something. Nobody came, nobody would budge. And they sat there and said, well, you know what? It's a pity because it's a chance for you to show off your leadership skills and how brave you are. And eventually, one guy stood up. You want to know how long it took for another 40 guys to stand up? About a millisecond. It's the <laughs> one guy that stands up. I said, no, that's the hero. Clapped him on the stage. You get it. You can all stand behind him for the rest of them. But it's true. The ability to speak up, how simple is that? So maybe do that. For 30 days, do one thing a day that scares you. These are all parts of my new book. That's, that's rule number one, a new rule. Rule number two, uh, because I talk about internal and external control. This is something else if you're with your Elevate. About 50, Locus of Control was put together in 1954 by Julius Rota. And he, through a lot of research, realized that some people have internal locus of control. In other words, the locus, this place where your control comes from. A lot of people have external locus of control. If you essentially, if you have internal locus of control, you take full responsibility for everything that happens in your life. If you have external locus of control, you blame it on other people, on the press, on the doctor, on the unions, on the immigrants, on the whatever. The point is that if you have internal locus of control, you can, you have responsibility. Responsibility means the ability to respond. You can do stuff about it. If you have external, if you blame other people, you can't get any better. You just blame other people. And anyway, not only is that brilliant for being a leader and being successful in business, it also means you're going to live a hell of a lot longer. Wow. Nicholas, this is phenomenal. This is a great conversation and it's so insightful. And there's so much that we can apply to our life, to the way that we interact with other people, that we interact with ourselves and the way that we interact with our own longevity, right? There's so many clues in this conversation. So I just appreciate it so much. And I know that we could continue for hours and hours and hours. I want to be respectful of your time. And I want to transition into our rapid fire section and we call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon, right? It's about a lot of what we've talked about today is somewhat uncommon unfortunately, but we'd like to make it more a reality for more people. And I'd love to know a few things. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, being a prolific author yourself, I'm just curious, what would those be and why? Most any book by Lisa Gardner. She writes uh, crime books about murders and how they get solved. I, I don't read self-help books. Um, if that's what you were looking for. Not at all. I'm I looking for whatever you're eight, using eight to learn and grow. I can suddenly, I can immediately tell, look, if you go back through, if you go back through the self-help movement, you get back to people like Phineas Quimby and, and beyond them. Uh, and, and today's authors, I know who they've been influenced by because I've been around long enough. You know, I was reading these books 50 years ago, or 55 years ago, maybe. And I can see all this stuff today. 
they didn't come up with this stuff. They got it from so-and-so, got it from so-and-so. And this person probably got it from the king of Babylon in, you know, <laughs> minus 200. So I don't read them. Um, and it's not because I'm, I think I'm a smart ass, but, but uh, I'm fine. I did read them for a while, but now I'm fine. That's awesome. And why, is, uh, why are the books from Lisa Gardner so impactful for you? Because she's wicked. I was actually telling some people on the speech last night because I was asked a similar, similar sort of question. She, she is so, she writes such evil stuff with such great characters that solve her problems. Uh, but she's, I've just heard interviews with her. She said sometimes she can't read her own stuff. It's so scary. <laughs> and once a year, she has, she has millions of readers. She's always in the top 10. She, and once a year, she has a competition with her readers. To, and so she gives a prize to the person that can come up with the best way to murder your best friend and get away with it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, I, I, you know, I always like to ask this question and not because I hope to get a certain, you know, type of book or, or response in, in these type of books. I'm just always curious in terms of how are people training their brains, right? Because I think reader, you know, leaders are readers, of course, but also there's such a joy in finding and following that curiosity. And you mentioned in terms of, you know, that being a central theme of your life and in terms of the lives of others that are, you know, tapping into superpowers. I love that curiosity. That's why I wanted to ask you that question, but let's dive into this. I would love to know what's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Nicholas. Look at my art collection first thing in the morning. <laughs> there you go. The really? beautiful wife. There she is. Pure beauty. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I hope that she would say the same about you. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Nicholas? I'm non-judgmental. I laugh. I laugh. I chuckle all the time. I laugh. I laugh when people say stuff, you know, because and the only other person I know who chuckles, well, I won't, I won't say it. I chuckle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I, it's all funny. It's all beautiful. It's all non-judgment. Good luck, bad luck. Who knows? I mean, I'm totally into 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 good luck, bad luck. Who knows? I'm totally into flow. If something happens, I my 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 thought, if anything, is wow. That's I wonder what that's all about. You know, if I my our driveway just got washed away for the umpteenth time, I'm going anywhere. But you know, and now we got a new driveway because. Somebody's turned up and this and that. Keep let the flow go. Let the flow. Mm. It's an old hippie kind of thing, but I'm totally with flow. Yeah. One thing leads to another. That's right. And uh, you're, you're just depth of wisdom and letting that, you know, letting your life continue to unfold, I'm sure has led to so many surprises in, in so many great ways in your life. So what a great reminder. Thank you for setting a phenomenal example. Thank you. I just want to acknowledge you for contributing to humanity in the way that you have not only today, right. And thinking about how can we use some of these techniques and use some of these practices towards stepping into further furthering our own potential, but I just appreciate you so much. I appreciate your commitment to continuing to share that message. And Nicholas, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Are there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Yeah, you can do anything if your heart's in it, anything. But desperation is the mightiest driver of all. I sold my cameras and made myself bankrupt in order to finish my first book. And boy, was it ever worth it. Mm. Beautiful, my friend. Beautiful. What a phenomenal conversation, Nicholas Boothman. Uh, Nicholas, where can the listeners find you best? Would it be nicholasboothman.com or where else can the listeners find you? Type 90 seconds into any browser or just type Nick Boothman into any browser. And uh, you know what? I do. I do. Uh, I would love your guys, uh, if anyone feels like it, to go on my website and read chapter one of my new book and send me feedback. 
because uh, uh, I just want to. I, I, I want feedback before I take it any further. I've written the whole book, but it sets the tone for the whole book. And I would love to hear if you think it's this guy's a nutcase, this is rubbish, this is a dot. What, say what you think. It's, it's 13 pages. It will take about eight minutes to read. And you might be... I'd be very, very, I will be very grateful to you. We'll put links in the show notes as to where you can find Nicholas, where you can find his books, where you can find him on social media and so forth, where you can read that first chapter of his new book coming out soon. And of course, we'll put links in the show notes as to where you can find all of Nicholas's books and even some of these workshops and some of these YouTube videos that he's been engaged in and, and serving people all over the world. So Nicholas, I just want to thank you again so much for being on the show today. You're amazing. And I, I really, I really like, like what you're doing. You're a rock. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot, especially coming from you, Nicholas. Thank you so much. And until next time, we will see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Elevate Nation. That was a phenomenal episode with Nicholas Boothman. And um, man, I, I learned a lot from this one. I have to tell you that I think that personal interaction perhaps is the highest leverage point in real estate. I have to tell you that you know personal interaction and building relationships perhaps is the highest leverage point in developing a meaningful in a big life. If you want to impact more people, it comes down to developing strong relationships. If you want to make more money, if you want to do more deals in real estate, if you want to strengthen your family, it does come down to those relationships. So I just really appreciated this conversation. I really appreciate Nicholas's expertise and the way that he contributes to humanity, of course, as I mentioned to him. Uh, but I want to encourage you to re-listen to this show because there's so much value here. And in particular, when you think about NLP, when you think about how to tap into your own human superpowers, how to make a powerful first impression, really maximizing those first two seconds, those first 20 seconds, those first 90 seconds with new people in your life, because that's how you're going to step into new opportunities. I want to encourage you to listen to this again and share this with a friend and share what is your top one, number one takeaway from this episode. Is it you're going to apply NLP? You're going to learn more about NLP? Or is it how you're going to be more powerful in terms of your first impression? Or is it the 10 words of how you can describe yourself and really program your future through words? I just think that there's so much here. And I just want to encourage you to really distill it down to what's your number one takeaway. Share this with a friend. Share this with your network, whether it's on social media, uh, through a group text message. Who is it that you care about or would like to learn more about and share this episode with them? And uh, until next time, Elevate Nation, I just want to encourage you to take massive action on what you learn. That's the most important part. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.